Twitter. I'm Saeed Jones, he is Isaac Fitzgerald, and you are watching AM to DM this morning. Okay, yesterday, Tronk laid off 50% of the editorial staff at the New York Daily News, explaining that it wants to focus more on digital news. Digital news, which is a weird justification for many reasons, right? But also because they laid off the entire social media team. Hmm. Entire social media team, but we're covering digital news, okay. They also forgot uh, to change the passwords. Oh, they laid off the social media team, but they forgot to change the passwords. Huh. Evil laughter. Cue evil laughter. The rogue tweets have since been deleted, but here's a screenshot from Jack Stern, because the internet never forgets, saving this daily news tweet always and forever. And if you can see, a lot of I eyes emojis it. there. I, and you know how I feel about uh, mm. eyes emoji. Mm -hmm. I just, I live, this is incredible. We also managed to catch uh, another screenshot of another tweet, because I think there were like two or three rogue tweets with the, the John Travolta. Yep, there it where, is. Where's just, where just is everyone? Where, where's 50% of the editorial staff? Where'd everybody go? Yeah, man, What's I was, listen, it's fun, right? It's always, this is a very thin silver lining on yes, what is a very true. terrible, tough story. But one takeaway, don't fire your social media team without changing the passwords first. That's a pretty big takeaway. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and clearly, as reporting is continuing to come out, because listen, New York Daily News, this is a huge story. And if Tronk thought this was just gonna go lightly, like, no, people are really invested in this, as are we. Um, it also reflects, like, the chaos of this transition. Like, mm -hmm. what, like, staffers were clearly surprised by this. Jim Rich tweet about it, like, you know, everything. And then also, like, yeah, y'all aren't even having a protocol for, like, how you're transitioning people out. Like, that doesn't look like leadership. No, and it doesn't, <laughs> smooth it doesn't look good the new editor even said this right. was not the way we thought this was going to roll out but then on top of all of that yeah. if your excuse for doing this very very terrible thing mm. is we're transitioning to digital news what does it mean to fire your entire social media team because that's very much a part of digital news. Also, I would say, listen, I try to avoid using this word, but I think it's somewhat, frankly, evil. Wow. <laughs> it is evil. Not There's no such a thing as somewhat evil. It is evil um, rhetoric to say we're transitioning to digital news when they know damn well there are many excellent Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists uh, who write explicitly for digital outlets. Mm -hmm. Like this is, it's, don't even try. Y'all know exactly what you were doing. Mm -hmm. You know exactly what you News doing. is news is news. Yeah. Yeah. But shout out to the social media team at the former social media team at the New York Daily News for going out with a goddamn bang. Yeah, and as and so many people said, there are a lot of excellent journalists and I hope there are ed uh, editors out there who hire them because you know we need that work covered. Well, uh, let's take it to the timeline. Let's be petty for a moment. We deserve it. Um, if you did, get fired or laid off, uh, and you decided to go out in a play, blaze of glory, mm. I think of like that scene in Chicago, some parting shots, <laughs> uh, what would it look like? What would you do if you got fired under that circumstance? Let us know using the hashtag, democracy dies in the trunk. Ooh, wow, that was a really good one. That's where we are. Do you have any dream about how you'd quit all this? Um, well, you know, live TV is pretty convenient for... <laughs> all right, I'm not gonna tip, I'm not gonna tip the face. All of our producers are like, I'm not gonna change. tip the face. Let's dig deeper into the broader trend in local journalism, though. Here's a tweet from Sarah Fisher. About a third of large US newspapers have suffered layoffs since 2017, according to a new study from Pew Research Center. Web-based news outlets are starting to help fill that void, local news publishing executives say. Now, Sarah Fisher, a media reporter for Axios, joins us now to talk about this trend and its implications. Sarah, good morning, woman on the go. I love it. 
Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us as you're traveling. Okay, so your story notes that there are two factors in particular that have hit local print newspapers especially hard. What are those factors? The first is Canadian print tariffs. So the Trump administration has uh, talked about imposing heavy tariffs on Canadian paper, which is affecting a lot of local newsrooms. You talk about newsrooms like the Tampa Bay Times, who've said that they've laid off as many as 50 people because they're worried about what those rising costs would do to their bottom line. And then, of course, you just have the economic factors that are not just damaging local news, but quite frankly, legacy news in general. So that's the Googles and the Facebooks of the world uh, kind of eating at ad revenue that would have typically gone to local papers or, quite frankly, all newspapers. All right. And what does this mean for local online journalism? Yeah, so I thought it was interesting when I saw these headlines about newspapers withering in the U.S., I thought to myself, well, what is making up for that void? There's got to be something. Now, of course, nothing can replace the dozens, hundreds of journalists that are being let go due to newspaper cutbacks. But the bright side is that there are tons of local sites popping up all over the country, ones we didn't even know about that are trying to fill that gap. So the local media consortium and Lion, the local innovative uh, online news consortium, both have member groups that are local digital publishers. A lot of them are online publishers. And they say that even though we might have not heard of some of these outlets, there are tons of little media sites in small towns all over America trying to help people get informed. That's really interesting. Can you give an example of some of those hyper-local niche outlets? Yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of them. One of them that local media consortium notes is a Dog Nation, which is a site that's hyper-focused on University of Georgia football. The entire site has reporters, multiple different verticals, just to hone in on that, because the local paper, the Atlantic Journal-Constitution, doesn't have the resources that they used to to cover it, and fans there are obsessed. So that's just one example of a hyper-local site that's kind of taking uh, you know, the place of what newspapers used to do. Hmm. All right, so that's a very hyper-local niche thing. What about just like broader local online journalism? Are there any sites that you feel like are really um, doing it well, especially as people are looking to maybe even start their own local news outlet? I mean, one that I take a look at is the one that Chance the Rapper just bought, the Chicagoist in Chicago. These are different sites. Um, there are ones, uh, similar ones all over the country that just report on local news to that city. And they're covering everything from news to crime to sports and entertainment. They have staffs of their own. Often they're making their own ad revenue. Uh, they're the ones that are filling in for losses at trunk papers, right? There's a CNN report yesterday that Chicago Tribune could be losing staff to. So that's another example of something across the country that's helping to fill that void. Yeah, I'm fascinated to see what Chance the Rapper does with the Chicagoist. Um, he says in the song, you know, where he announces it, he says, I bought the Chicagoist to run your racist ass out of business. He also refers to Rahm Emanuel and says, you know, Mayor, your time is done. So I was like, well, that's an interesting, you know. But I also wanted to ask, you know, Sarah, at talking about New York Daily News, layoffs across the industry. Is it hyperbolic as someone who covers big, big trends in media um, there at Axios? Is it hyperbolic to say that we are looking at a seismic shift? Like this is a big turning point. Not hyperbolic at all. This is a seismic shift. It is a big turning point. Look, if you were to take a look at the numbers 10 years ago, there was about 40% of Americans that said that they read newspapers on a daily basis. Today, it's less than 20%. I mean, newspaper consumption in the U.S. is completely dwindling, so it's not hyperbolic to say that we're going through a seismic shift. Pew also put out a poll that says there's been a dramatic increase in people consuming new news on mobile. I mean, that's something you wouldn't have heard of 
two decades ago, people weren't consuming news on their phone. They were watching TV or they were reading newspapers and magazines. So we're definitely going through a massive shift right now. All right. Worth paying attention to. Senior Martinez just tweeted, Martinez just tweeted, Diddy needs to buy trunk. All right. We'll see how that <laughs> pans out. Sarah, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me. And as a reminder, here's a tweet from Lizzie O'Leary. If you, news consumer, are worried about the loss of local news or the loss of trust in news, the single best thing you can do is subscribe or donate to your hometown paper or public radio station. Shout out to WNYC. I'm yeah. gonna make a point to donate to them today. I subscribe to the Brooklyner. I just pay $5 a month. It's right. really easy to support local journalism. Here for it. Now for a story about a very good, very innocent dog. <laughs> Last week, Madison Bilheimer tweeted, Heard a big ass crash in my bedroom. Let's play the video. Let's play the video. Coming in, coming in. Up, oh, there's a plant. It's busted. Oh. I love it so much. All right, now that tweet has over 275,000 retweets. I mean, it's got close to a million mm -hmm. likes. Do you see his face? Do you see I his just, face? He's both like one, like golden, I think he's a golden retriever, mm -hmm. just like resigned to his fate, but also just like, I don't know, it's, you know, stuck complicated. Under, stuck under that table. There's a tag under that table. How'd that table get on my head? Okay, so here's the thing. Obviously, in context, it looks pretty incriminating, but the internet issued a verdict. That dog is innocent, y'all. The dog is innocent. The glove don't fit. Okay, Drake Hudgens tweeted, it wasn't him. Megan Grease saying, he was framed. He ain't do it. Lasagna is worried for public safety. Y'all need to get rid of that table before it attacks someone else. That's right. I mean, that's good. That's just table a public service. Very dangerous. Absolutely. 24-year-old Madison Billheimer joins us now. Good morning, Madison. Good morning. Okay, let's start here. What is the name of that extremely good boy? His name would be Dirks. Mmm, Dirks. And uh, how did Dirks <laughs> end up being stuck under your bedside table? Walk us through how he got there. Um, well, all I did was just throw his ball and he went after it and somehow ended up under the table with it stuck on his head. I really couldn't even tell you. <laughs> <laughs> all right, and he kind of trashed the table. But Madison, I gotta say, I gotta say, if you, did you throw the tennis ball? Because if you threw the tennis ball, isn't this all kind of your fault, not Dirk's? It kind of is, yeah. <laughs> Okay, we're gonna I have- I did throw the ball though. You okay. did throw the ball. Okay, that seems- So are you willing to accept that perhaps you should be on the stand? Mm. Are you the suspect mm. here? Possibly. Possibly. <laughs> I'm the one to blame. Okay. I'm, the right. one, I'm the one to blame. Uh, another important question here for you. That table, mm. have you gotten rid of it yet given its violent acts? No, 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 I haven't. I'm too poor to get rid of a table right oh. now. <laughs> Well, you were living with the suspect. That table was like, very shady, Madison. <laughs> How is Dirks doing? He, he's great. He's trying to be a nosy right now. So Wait, do you, can wondering get, what's going on. Do you want to try and see if we could get Dirks on here? Could you call him over? I, I, come here, come here. He might knock it over. I'm not sure. Hi, I don't know, you I might see be able to see his nose. I see a top yeah. of the head. Oh, come on. Oh, I see a nose. I see a nose. <laughs> Oh, Dirk, Dirks, how do you feel about the fact that your <laughs> owner put you on the internet at a very shameful time in your life, all because of a tennis ball she threw? Look. <laughs> <laughs> we saw that side eye. Dirks was like, y'all know. Y'all know. And, and, and uh, your boyfriend was there too, right, Madison? How does he, fa how does yeah. your accomplice factor into all this? 
He, I mean, if you saw him in the video, he was just kind of standing there with his hands on his head like, in disbelief. <laughs> disbelief. All right, Madison, <laughs> thank you so, so much for joining thank us you. this morning and talking yeah. to us about jerks. Uh, you know, I'm going to say no further questions at this point, but you, you're, you're pleading okay. guilty to throwing the tennis ball? Yes, I am. All right, we got a confession. All right, stay strong, Dirks. Stay strong. <laughs> <laughs> so cute. I just love seeing, seeing Dirks' nose. When he did the side eye, he looked. Dirks was like, y'all know. Oh, you know what time she it was is. great. All right, well, Twitter, we want to hear from you. Tell us your fondest or funniest stories about your pets. Can never have enough of these kinds of stories using the hashtag Free Dirks. Oh, hashtag Free, free Dirks. Dirks. Free Dirks. Yeah. Let Dirks go. Let me ask you this. Do you have any? Yeah, my childhood dog, uh, Kingsley, uh, when he was ever tired of a walk, he was a Cocker Spaniel and kind of snobby. I don't know where he got that from. Uh, he would literally yank on his leash until I dropped it yeah. and pick it up and then just walk home. Oh, and just and walk for me at the door. Home. Like, it's, it's a wrap. So. We stand a self-walking dog. Right. Listen, we've got fire tweets when we come back. Thank you so much. <laughs> Back. Okay, we got some, a few shout outs. A few shout outs. Shout out to Buffy. Uh, shout out to everyone watching Buffy with me as I now make my way into season six. It's a ride. Two days of live tweeting Buffy from Saeed Jones. Your we'll boy see is if this evening's the third. Yeah, so anyway, y'all can follow those tweets. Um, but also, shout out to Planet Fitness. Mm. Uh, <laughs> It's, it, I guess its slogan is judgment-free zone. Yep, you know, yep, come yep. work out, mm -hmm. you know, we like it, we like that. Here's a tweet from Angela Brower about it. A man is accused of walking into Planet Fitness, dropping his clothes, and working out nude. He told investigators, thought he was in a judgment-free zone. Here's to hoping he wiped down the equipment Ooh. afterwards. I also read that at one point he was like, Sorry. Well, hang on, hang on. Like new stretches. Yeah, well, Christina Wong, she said, police say he walked back and forth and started doing poses on a yoga mat. Oh, he oh, allegedly, Jesus. and he himself allegedly referenced Planet Fitness's slogan, saying, like he said, it's a judgment-free zone. Not yoga stretches on the mat, And let me just tell you, this story comes to us hot from New Hampshire. Shout out to my live free or die, baby. <laughs> live free or oh. die. I love it. Judgment free zone all the way. 2018 has asked so much of all of us. I'm just saying. The man just thought it was a place where you could relax. <laughs> Let it all hang out, if you will. That's really bad. Have you seen the photos? The mugshot? I super. Oh. He had a big. There was a oh, beard. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I was like, photos big. in the gym. No. A lot of beard. A lot of hair. All right. Yeah, man. Anyway, let's get to these. Just letting his freak we, flag we fly. We had to. We would. You know, it, we just couldn't. Sometimes the story's it. taking over the timeline, and we don't want to ignore it. <laughs> okay, but fire tweets. We're back. We're ready. Is this a judgment-free zone? No. <laughs> let's do it. Casper Salmon, you tweeted. I'm staying in a house where the parents let their four-year-old name the cats. The cats are called. Mr. Hello and Dave. I <laughs> love that. I love it. I love it. I want more of it. I really love stupid pet names. <laughs> I thought you were going to say I really love stupid kids. I was like, oh, <laughs> Jesus. No, I do too. Mr. Hello is actually pretty That's cute. a great name for that's a cat. A good cat name. You know, I just feel like that's a thing when, like, uh, kids find out they have a sibling. They're like, I want to name it. And the parent has to very, you know, 
diplomatically figure out like how. I say go for it. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, it's all fun and games. Anyway, here's a tweet from Bridget. My therapist, so when did all of this start me? Probably when I listened to Maps by the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs 20, 200 times in a row when I was 12. Oh, God. It's now, a great, this is funny. It's a great song. I think we have a very different history of this song. I, did, I have to admit, new to the Yeah, 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 so I didn't know about Maps and that, frankly, like every major pop, pop song of the last decade has drawn from it, including Hold Up, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, so then I did listen to it 200 times in a row, but I was an adult. 12 years it's old? It's a damn good <laughs> song. Is. For me, the history of my, my life with this song is I worked at a biker bar in San Francisco and the entire jukebox from A to Z was just death metal. Just the <laughs> hardest metal you've ever heard. Except for on one little mix CD, that was the one pop song so on the entire jukebox. It's Maps by really, the Yeah, Yeah, Yes. And we yeah. did. We played it it's really, probably more I than think you think. I think the thing that it is, it's one of those songs that like the ending is, is pretty subtle. So if mm. you have, you know, that it's really easy to just keep going. Anyway, 12 years old, girl. Stay, <laughs> stay strong, Bridget. <laughs> Dan Hopper, you tweeted, ah, fuck. <laughs> Me, realizing tonight is the fun concert I excitedly bought tickets for. That's real. A mood. And that's why it's so hard for me to buy concert tickets. I mean, a lot of, it's like, concert tickets are weirdly difficult. But yeah, it's it's hard to, that's You don't know how you're going to feel on a Wednesday two months from now? Or four, if you're dealing with, like, the Carters. It's like, what are you doing in 2025? Beyonce's tickets are on sale, and you have five seconds. They're selling out, and you're in the middle. It's like Super Bowl halftime. You're like, wait, what? Like, I can't even unlock my phone. It's terrifying. Then the day comes, and you're yeah. like, oh, Do you I'm want to go tired. see Beyonce live in Paris in 2036? <laughs> <laughs> Tickets for $800. I need an answer now, Isaac. It's just like, I don't know. It's tough. We canceled dinner plans last night. <laughs> we did. It's a lot. It's a lot. Anyway, sorry. You can tell I've thought about that a lot. Here's a tweet from Very British Problems that, um, looking at you, Isaac. Uh, what? This one. I'll check it out. Translation. I will never watch the television program you just suggested I watch. I saw you retweet this morning. I'm gonna say this. I retweeted it thinking of you, <laughs> all right? Because this is what you have to do with Saeed. This is what you have to do with Saeed. You have to make a recommendation, then watch as he just does not take it, forgets it over the next two years, yep. and then all of a sudden is it acting like he invented live tweeting Buffy, all right? <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying, that's what it's like with you. I have to own, Isaac and, and your wonderful fiance, Alice Kim, uh, did try to get me to watch Buffy when I was living in San Francisco in 2012. I have a long list of the things I've recommended to Saeed, and he then acts like he discovered years later. Maps by the Yeah, Yeah, Yes might be on there too. So why did this make you think of me? Have you watched Killing Eve yet? <laughs> Shit. What did, you think, what did you think of the season finale of Pose? No? Oh, okay. Okay, fine. Two-way street. Two-way street. Let's go for tweet of the day. Okay. Tweet of the day. Tweet of the day comes from Satan's Nut. Oh, man. That's a username. Wow. I don't know how people can look at a newborn and say it looks like their parents. Like, girl, it looks like a piece of ham. <laughs> Just a little. First of all, Satan's Nut. I, how dare you? But the tweet was so good, we could not read it. Oh, shout out to my nephew. But yeah, that's projecting. <laughs> Your kid doesn't look like you yet. No, no. It looks like a little. <laughs> I'm just picturing you cradling a little prosciutto. <laughs> Stop. Uh, uh. Takes a while. Takes a while <laughs> to grow into the. You know. I don't know. <laughs> to grow from the prosciutto. Might look like your grandpapa, but it doesn't look like you yet, girl. Anyway. All the wrinkles. <laughs> 
Let's get out of here. Up next, more AM to DM. Uh, can you believe we're just getting started with just our morning? Get, it's a Tuesday, baby. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks for sticking with us through those little bit of technical difficulties. But now we have a tweet from Alina. When you realize your car payment is due tomorrow, but you spent all your money at Sephora. I think we've all been like that little baby before. This is Save the Day brought to you by Wendy's 4 for 4 Meal. And I am joined by BuzzFeed market writer Kayla Suazo to talk about saving money on makeup. Kayla, yes. please help us. We are not very good at budgeting and now we don't have any money for our bills. So you wrote a post that were 23 drugstore makeup products that do the job of high-end ones. So my first question for you is, I'm a little skeptical, can drugstore products really do the same job as a you know, high-end like Becca product? Right, yes, yeah, so I, spend a lot of time filtering through reviews to see like do these really hold up isn't just my opinion do people back me up on this and I can say without a doubt there are some products that truly live up to the high-end ones and I'm not just saying you can replace every high-end product with you know drugstore dupes but there are definitely ones out there that are perfect and I'm in love with them what do you think you spend the most money on oh my gosh anything tart yeah. At Sephora. I could just clean out the whole tart section at Sephora. I'm a, I just love everything they, they have there. Well, obviously for the, sh for the show, I need a lot of different lipstick colors. So I spend a lot of money on lipstick, but you say there's a Maybelline product that can be the exact same as Anastasia's Beverly Hills Matte Lipstick. Yes. So it's creamy, it's rich, it's long lasting. They made this product to dupe you know, higher end ones that you spend so much money on. So it's just a simple tube. You can take it with you wherever you go, throw it in your purse, boom, out the door. It's easy. And another one that you said, which I, you know, with the whole Forbes thing is very interesting, is you say, is it NYX or NYX? We don't really know. <laughs> I say both. I don't know. Someone help. <laughs> NYX, NYX, they both sound good. I recognize both. We'll go, we'll go with NYX. N yeah, NYX. NYX, whatever. <laughs> so their soft matte lip cream is the same as Kylie's lip kit. Yes, I've read so many reviews. This is one I haven't tried myself. If I could try every makeup product, I would. My face would probably break out, but I've read so many reviews online, on Amazon, Ulta, everywhere that says this is just the greatest product ever. And I have other products from them that I swear by and I think are amazing. So read those reviews, believe them, because everyone, there's hype around this product. You can just search in Ulta's search history or like type in control find and look up dupe and everything will come up there. That's People so, love it. That's so interesting because yeah. Kylie's Glip Kits are really expensive. Yes. Okay, so what about if we want to do something a little more natural? You know, a lot of people buy the Bite, like matte cream lit crayon because it's made with all natural products, but you say you can get the same thing from Burt's Bees. Yes, if you're a Burt's Bees fan, you just like their regular chapstick, try their lip tints. They're so great. They're rich. They're moisturizing. They're made with all natural ingredients. They're, you know, much cheaper than things you'd find at Sephora. And if you are a Burt's Bees fan, I think pretty much everyone has maybe at one point tried their chapstick. You will love this lip crayon. And they have this little cute gift in the back. I know. Too. That's so adorable. It's so cute. They have a great Instagram.
Okay, so obviously we have our everyday makeup that we wear and obviously go through really fast, but I always feel silly spending money on really expensive highlighters or things like that that yes. I only use, especially now, you know, whatever, I'm married. I don't go out that much. <laughs> so what if I, you know, want to buy this like really trendy like Becca highlighter? Is there something I can buy for a little less money that I can still get a bang for my buck? Yes, um, it's Essence's Pure Nude Highlighter. It's just, I think, I don't know how much, oh, five bucks. It's $5, cheap, but yet it delivers those like shimmery results without being just super glittery. So it's a good everyday highlighter. You can just swipe it on, not feel like you're walking out and going to like, you know, a nightclub or something. It's perfect for just day-to-day -day looks and it's, you know, a fraction of the price of other highlighters, so. That's a good one. Another thing that I really don't like spending a ton of money on is eyeshadow palettes because Ugh. it's like you barely ever use, what, use like two, you end up using right. like two of them. Yes. And, but then of course you go to Sephora, you check out like the Urban Decay Moondust eyeshadow palette and you're like, oh my gosh, this is it. so amazing. So I need it. It's so beautiful and I have to it's have it. It's $50. You know how much money no. that is for like, it's yeah. just, it's no. ridiculous. So you say BH Cosmetics Gal Galaxy Chic palette, which yes. is only $16, I give us the same results. I am obsessed with this palette. The pictures of it are beautiful. The colors, the swatches on the arm, giving me so many like high-end vibes. I would just buy all of these. And the reviews, again, I'm gonna talk about reviews because without them, I probably wouldn't have a job. <laughs> but people love it. It's so pigmented. It, people say it lasts super long time. I actually personally use the Milani um, eye primer, which is like $6 in stores. If you really want it to stay, that's a great product to add. A little primer, a little bit of this, and you're good to go. And your wallet's happy. So Th That's so good to know because I feel like, I do feel like, oh, I need to get these like really expensive ones so they'll last long. But you're telling me that it's all just yeah, kind of a there's scam. There's good quality out there. You know, it's the brand name. People want the brand name. That's but I, I've come, you know, with this job, I've learned that some of these, you know, smaller brands or even big brands that are cheaper who are creating lower priced makeup products are just as good. The quality is just as good. It's just they don't have that huge brand name to mark up prices and back it up, but there are really a lot of wonderful products out there. I feel like I have learned so much from you, Kayla. I'm about to go on the Ulta website and save myself a bunch of money. Yes, just hit that shopping spree. I think you get like, if you hit $50, you get free shipping. So, you know, why just, just stock up on everything you need for the year. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Kayla. More AM to DM is up next. Welcome back. Okay, we are now going live from the district with BuzzFeed News Capitol Hill reporter. Emma just had an interesting turn of events in DC, but let's start here. Good morning. Good morning. All right, so let's start with this tweet that we just saw from David Mack about our attorney generals. Uh, this is just Jeff Sessions, the top US law enforcement official, laughing and joining in on a chant about imprisoning the president's political rival. Well. So, and he did. He said it a couple of times there. Yep. You can hear him kind of say it a couple of times and then kind of laugh. And to make it clear, friends, this is a clip that happened this morning in Washington, D.C. He was speaking at a high school leadership summit. Mm -hmm. This is a clip from 2018. Mm -hmm. So, Emma, what do we make of this? <laughs> 
I mean, it's it's kind of uh, you know shocking to see, like you said, the top law enforcement official joining in in a politically motivated in a chant to engage in a politically motivated uh, persecution of the president's former uh, political rival. And so it's 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 questionable. And I think that we are going to see some reaction here on Capitol Hill as as this video spreads. I'm sure a few Republicans will not be happy with this. Uh, you know, will express their concern as they usually do. And, you know, Democrats will obviously do that as well. And uh, and then we'll all move on because it's 2018. Because it's 2018. Because it's 2018. Do we know anything about the Turning Point USA? That's the high school leadership summit. Um, because that's the other thing, like, for me, it's like those are probably kids in the audience that are starting that chant. And to watch the highest law official in the land kind of just go along with a bunch of high schoolers. Yeah, you know, the thing that struck me was that there was no moment of I'm going to, you know, maybe uh, be a good example for these kids and, and say, hey, actually, you know what, that's not that's not cool. Maybe he didn't want to lose the crowd or something, but I was surprised that he didn't say, oh, no, 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 we don't we don't do that. Um, instead, he went along with it. Uh, you know, these kids, some kids don't know better. They're young. They hear things on TV, whatever. But he does know better. Um, and so it was surprising to see him go along with it as well. Right. Politics aside, the instinctive response from really the person who's supposed to represent the entire concept of justice in the United States in front of young people. That's uh, not, I think, what a lot of people would like to see. But uh, that's not all we have to discuss from D.C. this morning. Here's a tweet from D.C., uh, from BuzzFeed News. Uh, Trump is considering revoking the security clearances of former national security officials because they politicized the ongoing Russia probe. And that list includes James Comey, Andrew McCabe, and Susan Rice, as well as former intelligence officials John Brennan, James Clapper, and Michael Hayden. Uh, here's a tweet from Andrew McCabe's spokeswoman about it. Uh, Andrew McCabe's security clearance was deactivated when he was terminated, according to what we were told was FBI policy. You would think the White House would check with the FBI before trying to throw shiny objects to the press corps. You would think. Here's a tweet from Benjamin Witz of Lawfare. I just texted Comey asking whether he even has a security clearance to revoke. Nope, he responded. There's nothing for POTUS to revoke. Comey says he was read out when he left government as per normal practice. Okay, so Emma, uh, have your security clearances been revoked yet? <laughs> You know, I'm actually a foreign national, so a lot of, uh, you know, classified documents, they say uh, no foreign national at the top. So I, 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 you know, I'm basically a spy. Okay. <laughs> Be careful out there, girl. Good to know. Uh, <laughs> do former officials usually keep their security clearance? They can keep the basic level of a security clearance, and that's because they might, um, you know, be advising the government still. People like the former CIA director, they still have a lot of knowledge. They still have a lot of expertise. They still know, you know, files that the government might still be dealing with. And so they can still go back and advise sometimes. They can also request to have uh, briefings if they'd like, though a lot of officials say they don't do that. Another way you can keep your clearance is if you go and work in the 
private sector at a job, say as a defense contractor, where you need a security clearance to do your work. And so there are different scenarios through which you can keep your clearance, um, but uh, apparently some just don't keep it at all. And so uh, it's it, it does seem like a shiny object that's being thrown to the press after a very tough week for the president. Very tough week for the president. I also have to ask, uh, where does Rand Paul fit into all of this? I know it was announced by Sarah Huckabee Sanders, but I believe that took place after he met with the president? Right. So Rand Paul apparently made this suggestion uh, with relation to John Brennan, the former CIA director who I believe has a contract with CNN to do political you know, analysis and commentary. He said that John Brennan should not be profiting off of his security clearance because he's spilling secrets to the mainstream media. But Rand Paul did not offer any evidence that John Brennan is spilling secrets to the mainstream media. That's not something that he was able to prove. And so it doesn't matter, though. The White House House is still latching on to this idea. And like we saw, Sarah Sanders brought it up at the press briefing yesterday. Okay, so then I have to ask, and frankly, I could probably ask you this every morning, but what does the White House hope to get out of this news about the security clearances? Well, like I mentioned earlier, this comes after a pretty rough week for the president after the Helsinki summit, uh, during which he, you know, met with President Putin and was blasted afterwards by lots of people, including a lot of people in his own party, for cozying up too much to Putin. Uh, and so this is probably an attempt to turn the page. You know, it's, it was the Monday morning, uh, the Monday afternoon press briefing at the White House, trying to start a new week, trying to start a new news cycle. And so it does seem like an effort to distract from everything that happened last week, including, you know, the, uh, the Maria Butina indictment from, uh, from Bob Mueller's team. All right, we'll see if it works. Sorry, not Bob Mueller's team, the FBI. Yeah, yeah. girl, get it. It's hard <laughs> uh, Emma, as always, thank you for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. All right, uh, we're having an especially glitchy Tuesday, but we're not done yet. We're going to keep soldiering on. Thanks for joining us. More AM to DM in a moment. A new study shows that almost 70% of millennials regret buying their homes. Joining me to talk about millennial home ownership is Anna Sale, host of the Death, Sex, and Money podcast. Anna, good morning. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. So this study shows that 68% of millennials who own homes regret buying their home. Why are they having buyer's remorse? Well, the study also shows that four in 10 feel like they're more financially stretched than they expected to be when they bought their home. They went in thinking it was going to be a great financial decision. And in the end, buying a home is not uh, the end game in itself. There continue to be costs of upkeep, surprises, improvements. Um, and so buying a home is not all roses. Um, but here, here's the issue I had with this survey from Bank of, Bank of the West that looked at millennials and their attitudes towards home buyership. I felt like it was like most coverage of millennials and the decisions they make about money. It really focused on the personal choices that millennials are making and sort of shaming them for making, sort of implying that they've made irresponsible choices. But there wasn't a lot included about the really difficult economic, macroeconomic context that young people have right now when they're trying to figure out how to deal with their housing in the best way to spend their housing budget money. 
Yeah, again, I, I feel like we see a lot of these articles that kind of beat up on millennials, also almost always pointing to them as being very young, even though many millennials are actually approaching the age of 40 now. Um, let's talk about home, home ownership for a moment, though. What are just the pros and cons of owning a home? Well, first of all, if you live in a place where housing prices are going up, which is happening nationwide, if you bought a couple of years ago, your you, your investment is paying off at the moment. You are making money on the mortgage payments you're making month to month, as opposed to just giving your money to a landlord every month. Um, and you also have stability in your housing situation. You know, if you're a renter, all of a sudden your landlord jacks up your rent or sells to a you know luxury developer and you lose your housing, then you're out and have to find new housing. Um, the real downside is that it takes money to make money, like all things in capitalism. You've got to get together a lot of money for a payment and increasingly so financial crisis because borrowing rules and restrictions have gotten stricter and that's affected millennials. All right. And so, as you say, you, you take kind of umbrage with this study. You take issue with this study. Um, can you talk a little bit about what it reveals, not so much about millennials finances, but the issues uh, that millennials face? Let's just call it in modern day capitalism. Yeah, I mean, I think that it, what it doesn't talk about is how, number one, as I just said, borrowing restrictions are tougher than what our parents face. We've got to come up with the whole 20% in cash down payment. Um, whereas before the financial crisis, if you had 10%, you could have more flexibility. Um, income mobility is low for millennials. Um, housing prices are increasing beyond the rate of what wages are increasing. So it's more expensive to buy a home. And also we have less retirement security than, than our parents did. So, so we don't have a pension waiting for us like a lot of our parents did. So it's, and that, not to mention student loans and student loan debt that a lot of millennials are paying. So, so millennials are trying to figure out, okay, how do I make responsible decisions with my money? How do I try to build wealth if I have a little money to invest? And for some people, if you can find a house you can afford, buying a home is a great solution, even if you have to add a roommate or something to help cover the cost. But it's not at all. It still costs a lot of money um, for property taxes, for housing improvements. Um, they don't go away when you buy that home. When you get that cash for the down payment, you've got to make your mortgage payment. You've got to pay taxes and you've got to continue to make improvements. All right. Listen, Anna, I'm a 35 year old millennial uh, who doesn't have a 401k yet, let alone a house. The American dream kind of, as I was growing up, it has always been to be a homeowner. So I wanted to ask you, do you think that's still true? No, I don't think so, because it's not a reality. I mean, if that's the dream, then it's a lot of broken dreams because people can't, can't afford a home. Um, first of all, 35, you need to make some retirement contributions to our 401k. Just give a little bit every month. Um, but, but it's a different reality for millennials, particularly if you live in a place that has a really expensive housing market. I live in the Bay Area. You live in New York City. Uh, it's a privilege to be able to even consider buying a home. Um, but, but if you are in a place in your life where with you, with a friend, with a partner, if you can invest and buy a little piece of land, it can be a great way to invest and, and eventually make money. All right. Well, Anna, I still think I'm going to live forever and not plan for the future, <laughs> but I appreciate your advice. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. And listen, Twitter, we want to know, have you made any big purchases that you now regret? Let us know using the hashtag am to dm We've got more am to dm just a moment.
Hello, my queens. Okay, this is The Sit Down. I'm here with the one, the only Michael Arsenault, author of the wonderful new book. It's out today, I Can't Date Jesus. Love, sex, family, race, and other reasons I've put my faith in Beyonce. That's a damn good I was like a mouthful. Thank you for getting <laughs> all damn, that out. You first try, it all. Yes. It's worth it. It's worth it. Congratulations. Thank you. Your Thank book you. is out today. I'm so excited for people to read it. I can hear people laughing now as they're like... <laughs> that, that was the goal. Yeah. That, that was the goal. I didn't want to be sad. You didn't want to be sad. And, and, you know, you go through some some challenging, you know, experiences talking about coming out, yeah. religion, dealing with your family. But it's also very funny. How did you do that? My life is a mess, uh, admittedly. <laughs> but one thing I wanted to do is that I just think when I read, like, David Sedaris or, like, Augustine Burroughs, like, I love that they could be basically messed up and mm -hmm. still find the humor in it. Mm -hmm. So even, like, in the, the challenges I had growing up, like, everyone in my immediate family is funny. Okay. So for me, I just wanted to acknowledge that things are hard, but to, like, I think my spirit essentially is to make you laugh and to make you think and I wanted that to kind of pour out through the book um, I think you know certain narratives are kind of like just deal, dealing the pathos are necessary still but that just personally was not something I wanted to mm -hmm. focus on more mostly yeah I love it. And I, yeah, I think we, we need room for these different kinds yeah. of stories, particularly from, from black writers, right. black queer writers, right? Because we, we didn't all have... Well, a funny experience. note I got in this uh, very challenging process mm -hmm. to sell the book was like, oh, that's been done before. Yeah. And my agent would like scream, like, really where? Mm -hmm. And I was like, yes, bitch, show me some examples. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah. I think, I, I think every writer of color I've ever spoken to about selling a book has had to deal with the, oh, we've heard that before. Yeah, yeah. You, you hear that from some black people sometimes. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, so something you examine in the book um, is the fact, you know, Aisha, down Houston. Yes. <laughs> Houston. Shout out, to, shout out to Harm Clark. Uh -huh. Yes. You've been here. You know that you know your town. Uh, you know, coming from a family and your mother being very Catholic. Um, and and na navigating your <laughs> yeah, she might be watching. Uh, navigating your deep love for your mother. Yes. Um, struggling with coming out to her, mm -hmm. right, and, and 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 reconciling this. And you use the term recovering Catholic. So how how did you navigate that experience? Well, I'm still navigating my mother. Mm -hmm. um, I say that with all the love and mm -hmm. fear that most sons have. Okay. <laughs> um, I think for me, uh, one thing I want to communicate in the book sometimes mm -hmm. is like, sometimes you have to allow gray. Like I know when people challenge when you write memoirs like at a certain age, like mm -hmm. I'm only 34 years old, but I definitely felt like I had a story to tell and it was mm -hmm. important at this point. Um, the thing about my parents, particularly uh, my mother, but both, um, is that I knew I would have to create my own closure. Mm. And I think you, so often, particularly in narratives like films and TV, you kind of see one or the other, like there's this big reunion or mm -hmm. like there's a completely like a push out. Mm -hmm. What happens if you're stuck in this weird middle where like right. you love someone, but they fundamentally believe something about your part of your identity, like how do you reconcile that? And it's an ongoing challenge, but I just kind of wanted to communicate like that gray area and to say, you know, I really love my mother. Um, I'm hopeful that one day maybe something will change, but if not, I need to make peace with the reality that some people will not accept me, even those that gave me birth, mm -hmm. and I have to find my own self um, love to carry me through that and create my own family yeah. and then hope for the best in those situations. I so appreciate you making space for that because I think the, the truth is most people are living in the gray area, right? right? Um, well, you know, <laughs> I, I think it's interesting the way that you, you're, you're writing about your relationship to your mom and your family and that it is, like you said, it is very much a works in progress. It is. And stakes are high. Right. This is not a casual situation. But on the other hand, you, you know, you've been writing online for some time now uh, and are so good thank you and really candid <laughs> I, about your life as a hoe out here in the streets and I just was like you know how do you hoe zero like hoe zero okay hoe with I'm a, 
not a real. Like the whole point was like trying to be a better hoe, not like a hoe. Oh, okay. Yes. I get it. It's Th- body leanings. Okay. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And people should read the excerpt that Into just published. Yes. With it's... talking about this. Mm-hmm. But but I did wonder, you know, and, and I, I remember having moments like this, writing for the internet, yeah. getting started, you know, in my career as a writer, and also going, how's oh, my grandma going to read this? How is this going to work out? Was that ever something you were stressed out about? Clearly, no. Uh, well, no, uh, I think initially um, I was taught to keep everything to yourself and that information is a weapon. So that's one of many things that I had to learn to overcome, mm-hmm. including the, the guilt and shame that comes with being Catholic a lot of times mm-hmm. and like the sphere of sex that I write about in the book. Um, for me, I just feel like just kind of growing up alone in that house, even beyond me being gay, is that we saw so much and we were just kind of told to keep it inside. Mm-hmm. And that just felt very like controlling and just, I needed, once I started talking about myself more candidly, mm-hmm. I felt better. Okay. And one thing that I appreciated was that when I would write about things that were, were going on, even on my blog, um, rest in peace to cynical ones, uh, people really took to it and they would reach out. And honestly, I've done a lot of different types of writing, but the writing that has gotten the most attention from anything I've done is like when I actually use my story okay. to connect with people. Because I think one thing about the book is that ultimately, I wanna, again, I wanna make people laugh and make people think, but also, I wrote something I wish I had when I was younger because I want people to feel like you're not alone. Mm-hmm. And I think there are a lot of different things that you don't necessarily have to be black and queer to identify with, but you get the, cru- the crux of it. And I just want people to feel like there's someone there that understands. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, it, it makes some people upset that I'm saying so much about myself, but I can't be concerned with that. I did what I felt I needed to do, and I'm really proud of it. Yeah, and you should be. You absolutely should be. We're grateful for it. Um, okay, so Beyonce mm-hmm. uh, is... I don't say this casually, an important part of your life story. Okay, we're going to own that. Okay. (laughs) The Lord and Gyrator. Yes, she is. Amen. We are so fortunate. Won't she do it? Under her (laughs) eye. Every time. Under her eye. (laughs) I love it. Okay, so uh, what. What has Beyonce done for you? What does she mean for you? Um, I usually start off with. I'm black gay from Houston, so obviously, like, she's just the center for that alone. But I think with. I write in the book how she made me comfortable with, I think, parts of myself that were considered like feminine and mm-hmm. because of how men are raised to think you kind of don't want to embrace that part. Yeah. I think the B-Day album has a lot of kind of subculture on top of subculture in it. Like it's New Orleans Bounce or what they used to call Sissy Bounce and like all these black queer people influencing mm-hmm. the things. Like when that album came out, it was also around the time that I was in New York City interning, um, going out and trying to be a thought and failing. <laughs> but just being free and like, not, like I used to never dance and like, I danced out loud. Mm-hmm. I didn't care so much about any of that. So on that, like she means something to me just for that. But also as a black person, she's country, she's black, and she doesn't dilute who she is to make more people come to her. And I think one thing about this book that was just so frustrating was that it was this idea that being black and queer meant that I was niche and no one mm. would, um, I would have to dilute myself or I'd have to live up to like some other type of narrative to be accessible in that space. Whereas I think with Beyonce, she's been so country and so black and so Houston this entire time. Mm-hmm. Outside of the first half of I Am Sasha Fierce, um, when she was doing like the Sarah McLachlan songs, which were cute, but that, that wasn't why I was there. Okay. Um, but other than that, she's been so herself and like she's made, 
people come to her. Mm -hmm. So also some people are so worried about scaring white people and like if you just be your country mm -hmm. self that you won't get them. Like I'm myself, I think I knew the minute when someone, I don't know how, but she got an advanced copy, very nice white woman who was said she was reading my book and knitting a sweater. And then she posted the sweater. It was lovely next to the book. She was like, I didn't get all of the references, but like I looked some of them up. I got it. And I was like, well, that's usually what well, I, I do when I'm reading some white people. So it's like, Hello. you can do, everybody use your Googles, your phone. Mm -hmm. So like, but she's like an example of like I can be myself and mm -hmm. I can still attain as much success as like allows mm -hmm. yeah that's my testimony that's your t hey, I, I live we still need to be besties I'm trying to get her the book like, okay I was about to say what's your plan to get your book to Beyonce um there are some different routes um I think though you know you can go through like people who know whatever but honestly I should probably just send it to Mama Tina's theater like literally I think Miss Tina is the is the plug I don't feel like she was she I oh, think hey, I think she would read it, it and think I'm a nice young man. Because uh -huh. moms are reading this book. I don't uh -huh. know how I feel about that. But yes, moms are reading the book. <laughs> I can see it. And, mom would, and like Beyonce would be like, no, mama. And then she'd put it on Instagram. Like, I told Beyonce she should read yes. this book by this nice young man. But anyway, I can't, you know, I can I see just, the Instagram post. I need that. And maybe one day I'll have some gumbo <laughs> I with her. I deserve. Because our gumbo look good. You absolutely deserve. Well, I know you, you are no stranger to giving advice. You do it very well I, with Into. Those questions are really fun. Yes. I mean, there is an irony, as Terry Gross pointed out, that um, <laughs> of me, of all people, having an advice column at Grindr asking people sex questions, but, but sure. That's you know, how it goes. So, uh, I love giving advice, too. Mm -hmm. We do ferocity here, so we thought right. we would, like, you know, let's let, go. get the throne to you. Here we go. This one. Woo, I'm excited. My man and I started dating three months ago. He recently introduced me to some of his childhood friends, and now all of them, and now um, out of all of them, I feel like I got stuck with the worst pick. I can't stop thinking about one of his friends in particular. We hit it off right away and have been texting each other for about a week. I'm not in love with my man yet, so should I ditch him and get with his friend? Okay, you trifling. Look, but you know what? Life happens because things, like, that's very Coco from SWV. Um, that's very, like, 90s R&B thought. Um, I've been it. there before I and it didn't back. So, if you don't like the guy, first and foremost, break up with him. Mm. Um, I would probably advise not dating the friend unless it's some kind of connection that is so important and you just feel like you have to explore it yeah. that's going to get messy you're probably going to ruin decades long of friendship but now nah, i'm a terrible person but like maybe you should pursue that but yeah. if it's not that strong just yeah. run away from everybody you're not happy yeah. that aligns with my cost benefit yeah. analysis i'm like okay there's going to be a cost to yeah still being all right but hey when it's right it hits okay let's do a beyonce one every time beyonce comes on the radio my boyfriend changes the station dump him okay there we go all right well we don't do beefiest <laughs> <laughs> Why would you be with somebody that don't like me? Look at that long question. Just like, we know. We know. Do we have time for one more? Okay. Um, I'm a reformed hoe. <laughs> uh, my new partner asked how many people I've slept with, and I actually did this in college, and I lied. Should I go back and tell him the truth, or should I just take it to the grave? I think I'm supposed to tell you to tell the truth, but um, you're already a liar now, so you might as well commit to it. That's actually probably terrible advice, but like, honestly, if it's that high, there's a reason you didn't say nothing. Listen, we stand a practical queen, Yeah. so I get it. All right, I lied. Anyway, thank you for joining thank us, you for Michael. Me. Again, I Can't Date Jesus. This is a great book. Buy it, it's great affordable. Um, get, and honestly, buy two copies. This is a great book to talk about with a friend. That's what I'm talking about. You know about. what I buy mean? Multiple that's, copies. Buy two if you really bought that life. Again, it's available everywhere. You can get books and online. Congratulations. Thank you so much for having me. More AM to DM up next, y'all. Woo! Hey. I love it. It's just like you and
90s R&B thought. Ah, <laughs> oh, the specificity. That was it. Mm. 1994. Woo! It was. <laughs> <laughs> Good year. It was so, also, you know, Beyonce changes the radio every time. Just dump them. Just, I, some, I knew. Some advice I was like, so I'm only quick. asking just to get it out there. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. Don't. We've been having a little bit of tech issues this morning as well. We apologize for those. My spirit is testing me like my hair is testing me. Don't worry about it. We're working on it. We're getting the clips out as quickly as we can yeah. for those of you that aren't able to watch. Yeah. Um, Thanks for sticking with us still. Exactly. If you're still watching, you can. <laughs> if you made it this far. Anyway, uh, we asked you for your pet stories and Kate Dahlstrin, girl. All right. Kate tweeted, Lola, a completely housebroken dog, look at that picture, uh, pooped on a paper I wrote as if to say, do better. <laughs> <laughs> it's called copy editing. She was like, listen, <laughs> you think I was done? Oh, you thought that was a completed paper? <laughs> She's like, this is just a draft. What I want is like a timeline or an oral history about like, was the paper on the floor? Or did Lola climb up on a desk? desk. Oh, what happened here? Just like on the table. Maybe it was on the couch. I can see maybe like going to rest. Okay. Backpack. I like that. You know, that sounds you know, truthful. It, Tell us it. the rest of that story, we Kate. We do. We want it all. Uh, Katie also has a dog story. The family dog Griffin ate the leftover turkey from Thanksgiving dinner. My mom loves leftover Thanksgiving turkey sandwiches. I'm in my room upstairs when I hear my mom shouting, Griffin, where is the turkey? <laughs> <laughs> now, this is the thing about Thanksgiving turkey. It's like the leftover eating experience is, frankly, I think better than eating on Thanksgiving itself. I'll you know say, what I mean? I'll say the dog Griffin probably agrees with you. Yeah. <laughs> Griffin's, Griffin's over there. He's getting the cranberry sauce out of the oh, fridge. Yeah. He's making himself a he's sandwich. Like, I know you got that macaroni and cheese in there, <laughs> he's girl. He's got the stuffing lined up. Bold <laughs> <laughs> move, though. I, I would be very upset. I just like picturing dogs doing things. This has been good Ooh, morning for that. Turkey makes you sleepy. Oh, he takes a little nap. Griffin takes a little nap. Okay, here's a tweet from Paula about her cat. Um, my, fi or for my fiance's cat, Cricket, that's a cute name, is both somehow very anxious and very bossy. We switched her to healthier cat food and she went on a strike by peeing on the bathroom rug. Before we figured out the problem, we started locking her out. So she peed through the crack in the door. Uh <laughs> that's just ingenuity. She said, that's you just... gonna get this urine today. <laughs> No door closed against me shall prosper. Being <laughs> everywhere. We should talk about pets every morning. I just love really seeing like the pictures of the pets fighting in the timeline. They had it. Fighting, fighting. Yeah, because you know, as a, you know, as humans, we're always like, ah, 2018, 2018. Mm. I'd like to hear what our pets have to say. Yeah, like, exactly. We're the ones consoling your crying asses. <laughs> How many feel? times do we have to cuddle, Susan? <laughs> I get it. <laughs> Uh, bossy yeah. and anxious, though. We don't know anybody bossy like that. Bossy and anxious sounds... That doesn't mean... That doesn't look like anything to me. <laughs> anyway, thank you to all of our guests this morning. Michael Arsenault, Sarah Fisher, Emma Loop, uh, Stephanie McNeil, Kayla Salza, uh, Anna Sale, Madison Bilheimer, and Dirks the Dog. We stand Dirks the Dog. Listen, we'll see you back here in 23 hours. It'll be 10 a.m. It'll be Wednesday morning. But good luck with the rest of your Tuesday. We promise to stop breaking the internet. We will. That is our solemn vow. <laughs> 